0: To the Leader Growth Podcast. I'm David Skidmore. This podcast is designed to help leaders overcome challenges and experience. Transformation and that is our heart. That's my passion for you as a leader today. I'm really excited because we're going to get into a conversation with a brilliant leader who is helping people do that. He just dropped an incredible TEDx Oklahoma City talk. You're going to be able to to catch that a lot of different places. Uh, Before we jump into that, though, I want to say thank you to Mr. Taylor Moore and Rose Record Studio, where we are right now doing this podcast today. So today's conversation is going to be about opportunity, how opportunity is unlocked, and how we're really able to not just take hold of it, but also how we're able to create opportunity in our lives and in our communities. With no more further ado on that topic, I want to introduce today's speaker, today's interview, who is Taylor Doe. As I just said, Taylor Doe stepped off of the TEDx Oklahoma City stage just a couple days ago. We are uh, recording this on Monday right after the weekend, Taylor. Welcome to the Leader Growth Podcast.
1: Man, thank you for having
0: me. This is yeah. exciting. Well, thanks for being here. And uh, you know, I, I got to ask, fresh shoes. I love what what's going on there. Yeah. They look got like uh, celebratory to. shoes because you said <laughs> that they are the first time you you've worn them. Maybe you didn't buy them brand new because yeah. you know you just gave a, a talk of a lifetime. But shoes look good. You look good. Thank you. How are you feeling,
1: man? I feel amazing. I'm still kind of on the high from yes. getting off stage of speaking. Uh, but I had a great weekend, man. I've been watching what I eat. I've been eating grilled nuggets at Chick Fil A, and I finally wow. switched back to the regular. Welcome back uh, this weekend. I, I went have to not been what I, I eat. Went to canes yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> like this was celebratory weekend yeah. for me, where I'm like, yeah.
0: I'm back, like I'm back, I'm so, back. Okay, so first one, where where did you go first?
1: So uh, <laughs> Waterburger for sure. So yes. that night after Ted like tore down, did all that, was kind of went out to. And I went out to eat with my family. So that was my first mm-hmm. meal. Uh, Water burger first. We didn't go to Water We went to a little bit nicer of <laughs> a <river> restaurant. <laughs> so we went to Firebirds. Yeah. Celebrated there. They have a cream brulee cheesecake. That Love was, it. That is amazing. And then that night at mm. about midnight, 1 one a.m., okay. had to go to Waterburger. Hadn't been there in weeks in preparation for the talk. Yes. Uh, and it was amazing. I went to so. Waterburger this
0: weekend as well. It's it's a spot to be. I in. realize, man, I have missed <laughs> this. Only thing is, I didn't take a few months off from it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did take some time away. Yeah, so. so
0: you you and I spent some time working together uh, d- during the TEDx process. But you know, most of our conversations <laughs> before this have consisted around the branding of Waterburger, Chick Fil A, even Taco Bell. Yep. Uh, shout out Canes. Anybody else that that we should include in that?
1: Uh, no, I mean those are my f- f- Fab Four. I mean, Brahms is in there as my Fab Five, but they're branding.
0: Yeah is always, you know. Well, it's kind of like, you know, the Michigan Wolverines, like there were technically Fab Five, but really we remember four. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's what I'll go with. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. So I want to talk today around this idea of and then. It's a fascinating concept. Mm. You didn't hear it anywhere. No. You just noticed it. Yes. When you first got into this process, what you talk about it in... In uh, your your TEDx talk, was it in the back of a limo when all of this really started happening?
1: Yeah. Yes and no. So okay. I've been I've been working and living and hanging out and being on the East Side. Yeah. Uh, for many years. Yeah. And so. I think a a culmination came uh, and kind of came into the back of that limousine that night for an event that we did called Fast Food Valentine's. Fast Food Valentine's. Where we would uh, rent tuxedos, rent a limousine, and some mentees and I Mm -hmm. would go around the city and pass out cards and chocolates and roses to ladies who were working at fast food restaurants Mm -hmm. on Valentine's Day. It's so kind. So,
0: oh, it's a blast. Yeah. It, it's we have so much fun with. Who it. do you think has more fun? The ladies working at, you know, <laughs> Whataburger or anywhere yeah. else or you and the guys uh, with you?
1: It's it's both. I yeah. mean, we're we're met with like laughter, hugs, tears, yeah. trying to give us free food like which which they want, right? It's yeah. like oh, we'll take free nuggets from Wendy's and Frosties like, Here's your flowers we'll take nuggets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they're like some transactional stuff. No, but it's it's awesome. I mean, they're just yeah. super kind young men yeah. who had known what I've been doing. So mm-hmm. I started that in college and then yeah. uh, started working on the East side after college. And they just knew what I did. I was like, we want to do this. Yeah. And so I kind of turned the, key, the keys to the limo over to them mm-hmm. and they just ran with it. So wow. um, they've been on the front page of the Oklahoman in wow. the news on every news channel. Uh, so they, they have a
0: blast, man. It's an incredible thing to, to even think about that. What, what actually led to doing fast foods on Valentine's day?
1: Uh, it started in college with a buddy and I, and mm-hmm. we were just, <laughs> all of our buddies were out with their girlfriends. <laughs> and it was just kind of like, man, I, I'd, I'd started a campus organization at OU yeah. uh, designed to just serve the community in unique yeah. ways. So we did some other unique service opportunities and we just kind of came up with this idea randomly, mm-hmm. went to Homeland, bought yeah. it, bought them out of all their Valentine stuff. And like I said, I've just had a theme of fast food in my life yes. for a very long time. Time to show love so, to, to some
0: people who have, you know, made it possible for yep. us to enjoy those. Like I, mean, I just knew fast food, fast food workers
1: yeah. uh, at I this was kind of my low point of fast food. But I started mm-hmm. getting the employee discount at Whataburger when I didn't even work there. I just go so much. So I was like, come in <laughs> and Bro, I get this. I've gotten
0: this <laughs>
1: like that's that's the status, right? Yeah. So when they
0: know you by, you know, first name yeah. might know your middle initial.
1: Yeah, your last four digits of your social, like, you're almost stuff family. Like that. Yeah. yeah. So I started getting discounts there. So just I started meeting people and we wanted to care for people. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of was just a creative
0: way to do it. Yeah. The reason I, I think that that's important is even back then, you were looking at opportunity. Like, how could we create an opportunity? Mm. You know, as as you talk about in in your TEDx talk, you have this this question that hits you on that night. Because while you know, while you guys are dancing and doing fast food, and you even mentioned bunny, uh, bunny ears in, in your talk, go watch it. You got to go watch this talk. <laughs> it's incredible. Make sure that as soon as it drops, you watch it. You share it with somebody so that you can be there and then moment. See what I did there? I see. Okay, so for you like what was happening there on that night though and, and the questions that that made you reflect on this idea that ended up becoming and then yeah so
1: if you work with young people a lot which I was doing and still yeah. do is this question of like the future mm-hmm. and like what's possible yeah in dreaming and like what do I want to do
0: everything's going future everything's going yes. future
1: right and so you're thinking about that and so in the back of that limousine, that night, one of the one of the guys that I mentor, who's like my nephew now, his name mm. is Demarion. Yeah. He looked at me and we we're kind of talking about like when so we're wearing tuxedos and you're like, you just talk about business. You talk yeah. about making money. You talk about all these things when you're just dressed up. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like we're doing fake business deals in the back of the limo. Yeah. And so Demarion looked at me and he asked me this question. He said, Tito, I want one of the good jobs when mm. I get older, get wow. older. Like, how do I make this type of money where I could dress up and like provide for my family? Yes. So he he said, how do people get the good jobs? Mm. And I froze. I didn't I like didn't have an answer for that right Right. then. Uh, You know, I knew that the American dream would say, work hard, pull yourself Mm. up by your bootstraps. Like if the American dream was sitting in the back of the limousine with us that night, that's what it would have said. Mm -hmm. And I just know it's more complicated than that. And so that's really what triggered the journey of me, like starting to do actual research, doing interviews, recording interviews, mm-hmm. all of that with people about how
0: they got to where they're at. Yeah. One, one of the questions you ask in in your talk is how do people get the good jobs? In fact, this weekend, I saw that, that question post on social media everywhere. Mm. It resonated with people because it is a question that a lot of people feel is that person got a good job. I didn't get a good job. How did that happen?
1: hmm. Yeah. So what I started seeing was a theme among all these interviews Mm -hmm. and the theme that was right in front and was said in every single interview was Mm -hmm. hard work. So that was something that I saw in every single interview was uh, working hard to get this job. But what I found out and what was more interesting was that there was more to the story. Yeah. And that was a phrase that showed up in every single interview. And that phrase was and then. Hmm. And it's this transition word that we use that actually covers up a lot of the detail about how we get to where we're at. Okay. And so to go a little bit further, I would interview people, for example, Stacy, which you'll see in the talk, she was mm-hmm. a school teacher and yeah. then worked hard and got a job in corporate America. Yeah. But what she didn't mention until we like unpacked it was that one of her former students, mm. their parent worked at that corporate job and wow. helped unlock that opportunity. Yeah. Another was Rebecca. Mm-hmm. She, Got through school, got through college, and then got an internship at this PR firm. Mm-hmm. What she didn't initially say and what was hidden kind of behind that and then phrase mm-hmm. was that her boyfriend's dad at the time was a GM at that PR firm. Wow. And so I really challenge, like, challenge people to unpack that idea that yeah. relationships are the key to opportunity. Hmm.
0: you know when when we don't acknowledge that side of the story what 's at stake, I think that that's one of the big questions is like because if if I only tell m- my story according to here 's my hard work resume yep. what ends up being at stake collectively and
1: I think that's what we've seen that, that's what we 've seen for the mm-hmm. last however I many hundreds of years is we we talk about one part of the formula to mm-hmm. success in America, and that 's hard work and grit, which is an important Aspect of it. Right. You 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 have to have hard work to Mm -hmm. be successful. So anytime I'm having this conversation, that's kind of a disclaimer of saying I'm not coming after. Yeah. You not working hard. I'm not coming after your creativity. I'm not coming after any of that. Yeah. I just want to talk about the one component that we we continue to leave out Mm -hmm. in these conversations. Yeah. And so I think what's at stake is that we continue to tell a narrative that is not full and complete. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking with people who have historically been left out Mm -hmm. or um, who are born in certain situations, like just work hard, like follow these, these instructions and these rules and you can make it. And that's not fully truthful Mm -hmm. and not what came out in the data as I was interviewing people who had the good jobs, who were were making good money, who had benefits, all of that. And so that's where I invited people to just tell their Mm. tell their and then
0: moments and be very vulnerable in that. When people did start telling their and then moments, were you surprised? I was I was
1: not surprised in mm-hmm. a sense that I grew up in that environment, so it's normal. So for mm-hmm. a lot of people, it's just normal that you have an uncle who knows someone, or like mm-hmm. I live next to this person who does yeah. this. Like yeah. that's a normal way of life mm-hmm. for a lot of people. That's mm-hmm. the the bubble or the environment ecosystem mm-hmm. that people are born into or, or are yeah. in. So that is a very that's not groundbreaking to mm-hmm. me, um, but for people who are outside of that, that's not always normal. Were they surprised? They, people, people know something's going on. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: It's like, what's going on behind the curtain? Yeah. What does the Wizard of Oz have access to that I don't?
1: Yeah. And so what I think it actually does, another layer that I didn't mm. get to in the talk, was it provides dignity across the board. Mm. Because what actually I found in this research is that there's a lot of shame behind this. Wow. In a few of the the clips that I have from the recording is people mm-hmm. saying, "I feel shameful of how I got here, so I didn't tell anyone." Yeah. Like how I got here, that I knew so and so or I was friends with yeah. the VP or my you know, my cousin knew this person. There
0: was a lot of shame that came with that mm-hmm. that
1: caused people not to want to share that information.
0: If we think about that from, you know, jobs and work collectively. Yeah. How does that impact um let's say a group of people, a community don't have access to relationships that unlock opportunity for them. Yeah. How does that collectively impact, um, an entire community? So I'm
1: interested in this. I'm, I'm not an economist. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm not a social scientist. I wish yeah. that might be later in life <laughs> might it right now. Like, it's not. Yeah. Uh, I'm just an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I own a business, but I'm interested in this because I have young people who mm-hmm. I've been very invested in and their yeah. families. And so I see, I've seen the, the outcomes of what happens when you don't have access to opportunity, uh, access to making money for your family. So just how ruthless Mm -hmm. poverty and unforgiving poverty Mm -hmm. is. And then looking and kind of reverse engineering of like, how did you get here? How did these people get to where they're at? And that was really kind of the heart behind the research is to kind of break down this really Mm -hmm. complex topic of social mobility. And it Mm -hmm. kind of always boils up on opportunity in America, the land of opportunity, all this. So I wanted to make it bite size understandable for people to to really take that away,
0: you talk about a story of going and visiting with with your grandpa, yeah your hero, my superhero, yeah <laughs> amazing man, yes, and you also talk about a very important character and coming to the uh and then uh idea this and then i I would even call it the the and then paradigm mm. yeah
1: so i I got to interview my grandpa and this that's kind of a good transition because mm. I really wanted to look back. In history in time Mm -hmm. even with my story to see how uh, this if there was any effects today and so I interviewed my grandpa before he passed away and he lived in Illinois and so I drove up there sat with him and he told me a story the story I've heard a hundred times before right and so he said Tay uh, we grew up poor in Fort Wayne Indiana Mm -hmm. in middle school I started a paper route and then worked at a grocery store and then got a good job at the gas pump factory where they made gas pumps. They paid me enough to uh, go to college Mm -hmm. and I didn't have to work during school. So I could just focus on my studies,
0: which which all all of that is true,
1: which is true. That's the story that I heard. And, and and that's, that's what happened. So I went up there to kind of dive into the details. Mm -hmm. So I said, grandpa, well, how'd you get your first bike to start your paper route? Hmm. He said, well, now that I think about it, my uncle gave me my first bike. Wow. And so he would say, well, then I started another paper route and I got this red Schwinn bike. And he uh, would always, all oh, the red Schwinn. He'd always talk about that bike. <laughs> yeah. right? So it's like, okay, grandpa, well, how'd you get a job at the grocery store? He said, oh, that was nothing. You know, it was a, a neighborhood grocery store. The owner knew us neighborhood kids. We just put coupons on doors. Didn't mm-hmm. get paid that much. Okay. That's an, that's another conversation. All right. Well, what about the good job? I want to know about the good job. Yeah. He said, well, my next door neighbor was the hiring manager and we didn't have enough, <laughs> we didn't have enough money. For me to have a car, so he'd mm-hmm. take me to and from work. Wow. So he had this opportunity. So I, I got
0: a job and transportation. And transportation. Through, yes.
1: Yep. Uh I got this job. I have this transportation. And so I did some some additional research, some Googling, and found the 1940 census. And I found the name of my grandpa's next door neighbor. Wow. And his name is Ray Simmons. Ray Simmons. I'd never heard this man's name <laughs> in my entire life. From hearing my story, my yeah. grandpa's story hundreds of times, a man who unlocked this opportunity for my grandpa, he, he Mm. was an, and then moment for my grandpa. And I never heard his name before. Wow. And I don't think my grandpa intentionally was like, I I can't say this dude's name. Like it's just, it's the way that we tell our stories in America that we leave out these crucial details. Mm. And so if we were to look from the outside I'd say, man, this guy worked hard. Uh, He grew up poor. You know, now he ended up being a college professor and a pastor and you know, all these things. But there, there were these points along the way that Mm. unlocked one knowledge resources, and then unlocked opportunity. And the, that is what I call and then, and then moments.
0: And then moments unlock opportunity for us. Yes, You talk about locked opportunities. What's a locked opportunity?
1: So as I was doing more research on my grandpa, mm-hmm. I found out that because of exclusionary housing practices back in the day, mm-hmm. known as redlining, mm-hmm. which yep. you, can, you can Google. We no, had here in, in, in Oklahoma in, City. In OKC, yep. in, a, in a lot of major metropolitan areas, yeah. essentially says that black people can only live in this area. We're going to not give as good mortgages to yeah. black and brown folks, all that stuff. That was yes. happening in Fort Wayne, where my grandfather lived. Yes. So no black and brown folks could live in my grandpa's neighborhood. So now we're talking about Mm. opportunity. So I was thinking back to DeMarion in that limo. I was thinking about his great-grandfather. I was like, if he happened to live in Fort Wayne, Indiana at the time, no matter how hard he worked, he couldn't live next to Ray Simmons to unlock that opportunity.
0: It It, was locked for him because simply he didn't have access to even be able to live close to Ray Simmons.
1: To build trust, to to all the things that play into unlocking opportunity was not available. And so that's where... That's kind of where the historic part comes in and kind of circle Mm -hmm. back to one of your previous questions was like there's communities that have been left out or locked out of opportunity for generations Mm -hmm. and very intentionally in Mm -hmm. intentional ways. And then in some non intentional ways. But that was that really hit me was there's opportunities that are locked for certain people based on relationship. And so Mm -hmm. the next question that came up was what happens if you don't have access to those types of relationships? Like what, what, what What happens? happens? And so I did some more research and during one of the interviews, the Rebecca who got that good Mm -hmm. job at the PR firm Mm because of her, her boyfriend's dad later in that interview, she shared that she was an intern and they went out to an intern lunch. Right. Yeah. And they were eating and a girl next to her slipped up and said that she got a job because of her dad works with Brandon. Mm. That's how she got in. Then another intern shared, well, I went to school with Catherine, who knew Doug. That's how I'm here. And then each intern around the table went around and had a similar story. Yes. She later found out that no one gets a full-time job at that PR firm Mm. if they don't come through the internship process. So if you don't have a relationship, you could not get a full-time job. It's locked. It's locked. And so then you think about how our neighborhoods are set up Mm -hmm. and what our circles, our networks look like and who we go to church with. If, if, if you go to a religious institution, what, who you go to school with, who, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those things matter
0: Mm -hmm. when you start thinking about how opportunity flows in America. You talk in, in your talk, you talk about the importance of relationships and how relationships have a compounding effect. Can you share a little bit more about that here?
1: For sure. So in America, We have this idea that we're playing this zero-sum game. Mm -hmm. And what that essentially means is like, in order for me to win and be successful, you have to lose. Or in order for some other person to win, like there has to be winners and losers. There's no win-win. There's no win-win is Mm -hmm. kind of what we believe, right? So if you have kind of – I use this analogy with Mm -hmm. keys and unlocking opportunity. So we kind of walk around with Mm -hmm. this imaginary bowl of keys. And if I give out these opportunities – I like my bowl gets lower and I could essentially like give all these keys out and I beat a zero and I lose and you win. Well, it's actually the opposite in America Hmm. because opportunity in America is compounding. So how that works is you step into a new job Hmm. and you work with 50 new people. You have 50 new keys that are added to your bowl. Wow. Or you join a small group and you have like 10 more keys or you join the country club or your kid joins a soccer team Mm -hmm. and you're like sitting in the stands with other parents. (laughs) It's like this is twenty five new keys to my bowl. So as we give out opportunity in these keys, we're actually getting more keys. Hmm. And so opportunity in America is compounding, not a zero sum game. And then moments are not a zero sum game. Hmm. And then moments are compounding.
0: You know, I I think if we are looking at how we do things differently going forward, which is part of this conversation, if if we're talking about our organizations, our communities, uh, and as leaders. Overcoming challenges and experiencing transformation, we don't want to keep doing life the same. We actually yeah. are believing that there's a better future that we can create together. Yeah. If we're talking about that from an end-in perspective, what would be something that we might start incorporating maybe in how, how we think about uh, work, maybe in, in how how we think about uh, leading our teams, maybe in, in how, how we think about building our organizations? Yeah.
1: So I think the thing that comes to mind for me is reflection 1st Mm-hmm is reflecting on our stories. Okay. Because I think as we start thinking about names that maybe we haven't thought about in a while, there's mm-hmm. kind of a level of humility that comes over us that says, wait, I I didn't yeah. do this all by myself. you know. Yeah. And so I think out of that posture of humility mm-hmm. is where we can really start making a difference there. Uh, I think it changes our behaviors. I think it changes the way that we talk and that we interact with people. And I think it actually opens us mm-hmm. up to unlocking opportunity for people outside of our normal networks, knowing that opportunity has been unlocked for mm-hmm. us. So I think that's the first step. And and I don't want to downplay this because I think narrative is so important. Yeah. And, and you know this as mm-hmm. a marketer, as a business owner, as, yep. a, as a leader, like the, the stories that we craft actually impact the way that we walk out life. Right. That's, yes. that's essentially what marketing is, is I'm going to tell you this story mm-hmm. in hopes that I can get you to do this. Right. Yes. I, I'm going to tell you that water French fries are the best French fries <laughs> in the world. So and you come th- to my drive through. They're even healthy and they're even healthy.
0: <laughs> we, it's always healthy. Right. Like if people, at, right. You know, on the, on the pictures yes. and you know. Yeah.
1: And so that, that's essentially what I'm asking is to mm-hmm. say, let's tell our full story to tell the more mm-hmm. truthful narrative of how wow. people get opportunity Because I think that can in turn change our actions in how we unlock opportunity for people.
0: It creates an entirely different narrative. Okay, so personally, you know, one of the things that I've experienced from an and then side is people sometimes view you and your success and think, oh, you just worked yourself there. You just got got yourself there. So let's, you know, TEDx. Yes. Um, It was Brian Clifton who said, would you help me out with this? And then, <laughs> it, at the beginning, it was just, "Would you help me with it with the speakers a little bit?" And four months later, I'm helping to organize this event. I'd never been to a TED event, a TEDx event anywhere. Had no idea. Yeah. We, I, I would even say this: I didn't know on year one quite what I was building. I was learning rules, restrictions, yeah. communicating the, those things to uh, to our speakers on year one. Some of them, I had never worked with speakers uh, in that capacity before, and there was a lot of trust coming to me from, you know, some of them. I I remember one one of them,
1: (laughs) he said... Are you sure you you want to share this? Yeah, it was great. He goes...
0: (laughs) He said, Yeah, you know, um, I was just out talking to with uh with Google that last week. And so I'm I'm excited to get in on, on this process. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> like I am out of my depth, but his humility and saying, like, please, like, I, I want feedback, I want to be uh le- led in this process was amazing cool. to work with. Well, I look back on the on the past four years, that entire process of helping create this uh this experience for for our city. Has added a lot of value for my life. Yeah, I think part of the reason why I got um, a job from a recruiter into um, being a creative director, I believe that that was uh, partially because of TEDx. There were there were other things. It was easy for for me for a long time to to just say I work with our speakers. Yeah, I organize this. What was a little more difficult was saying. Somebody asked me to, and I don't even know why outside of it made my story feel a little less strong, but in my, and then story, most of the experiences I've had, has there been hard work? Yes. But if I look at it, big picture, I've had some people who invited me to be a part of the room that otherwise, if they hadn't, I don't know where I would be.
1: And I live with work around in the neighborhood with people who don't get invited. Yep. And so I actually think as cities we leave a lot of opportunity on the table yeah. by leaving people out. Because mm. I see amazing young people, yes. old people, all of these things. Yeah. I'm like, I just don't see the the access or the connections mm. to phenomenal people. Yeah. Right. And so you got this opportunity through a relationship. That allowed you – there's another component to and then moments. One is uh, like actual people unlocking Mm -hmm. a door for you to walk through. The other is the knowledge Mm -hmm. you need to be able to walk through that door. Some people don't unlock a door. They just give you knowledge. Yeah. Right? On like how to do certain Mm -hmm. things. Part of it is practice. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a component around practice reps. Like you had some low stakes. Yep practice reps that allowed you to to like really hone your craft, mm-hmm. which that when this agency called you to be able to do this this next opportunity, mm-hmm. staffing agency. Like I've actually done this in in like I have these skills that I got oh, to well, practice. Taylor,
0: you don't even know this this part. I closed my business down, but I had a mentor because I had gone through Salt Knight leadership training. And that's when I was able to to say, hey, I'm looking for a job. And he just happened to own a recruiting company. <laughs> and See? then And then
1: I, I, one, I want to thank you for sharing that yeah. because there's a level of vulnerability that comes with this. Right. Mm -hmm. And you kind of set on it and in it, it showed up in every single interview I did, man. Like this, this kind of shame that comes over of like, man, I didn't, it downplays my, you know, my high moments. Yeah. Also when you share, it leads people to share. That's Mm -hmm. what happened at that intern lunch. With Rebecca, that story I told is like one person shared is like, oh, I'm not the only one. Yeah. Then I can share. And and so vulnerability fosters vulnerability when mm. we tell our stories. Yes. And so wow. I dream of a city like Oklahoma City where mm-hmm. instead of you sharing all of your accolades, you share the names of people who unlocked opportunities. Wow. So, so some kind of like an and then resume. Like I don't I don't really care what you do is like share the share the full story mm-hmm. because I think this is going to bring a more truthful narrative so that when I'm talking with young people I can say man look at David Skidmore yes he worked hard and mm-hmm. he will tell you he worked hard but also look at all the other things that fell in place for him to to do this yeah because when people don't make it we're not talking about the idea of dignity mm-hmm. of saying man I just didn't work hard enough I'm not smart enough I'm not all mm-hmm. these things and that just like starts to weigh down. And when yes. that weighs down on a community and people mm-hmm. for long enough, it the the outcomes you can't even measure it, how much yeah. we leave on the table um, when it comes to to dignity
0: and what this city could look like. You lose a lot of creativity. You know, they've they found it in organizations when you hire uh, more diversely your bottom line goes up, yeah. so sometimes we, we think, oh well, we just got to be more diverse in in the process. But sometimes what what we're missing is the bigger picture. It's not mm-hmm. just let's diversify so that we'll be a better, smarter organization. No, let's be intentional in how we're going about this because we we want everybody in this community to thrive. Yeah. We're not just going to benefit from from them. We believe in the double win. Yeah. You know, some I I think one of the things that's at stake now especially in the social media culture where, you know, we're, we're pushing so hard where we've kind of become a win once culture. Mm. <laughs> like I will do everything right now to win this moment. And to that point, it can become more difficult to be vulnerable and say, this is how I actually got here. Yeah. The people I trust most, uh, the, the people I trust most are the people who have the courage, the honesty and the reflection to say, I didn't get here on my own. It was other people who helped me get into the room. Yes, there, there was hard work. That's always part of it, but there's a lot more going on to it. Yeah, yeah. So Taylor, when when you think about what's possible if we just flipped the switch yeah. and started practicing, and then resumes started practicing, and then conversations started intentionally uh, moving our organizations to even think about how we hire differently. What what might be possible? in a community.
1: I think we're, I think you see outcomes in every single category increase mm. Yeah, from health disparities to access to food, to mm-hmm. education, to the arts, to, to yeah. actual business, mm. uh, to, to our religious institutions, all that you're going to see, uh, positive, positive gains in every single category that way. If we start to do that
0: at the end of your talk, you, uh, held up, a key or you, you ended up giving us a key. Yeah. Uh, Can you tell us a a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So I, after the talk, I got to share a little bit about the, the key that I brought and I Mm -hmm. made for everyone in the audience. Yes. So not me. I'm not, I don't personally make keys. I had them made. He has a side business, has a key maker. (laughs) Tito's keys and such. Uh, Locksmith.
0: (laughs) Tito the locksmith. Yes. Yeah. I love it.
1: So uh, one side of the key says, And then moments Mm -hmm. as a reminder to reflect on the like how we got to where we're at. Mm -hmm. And the other side, I don't know if you've you've rented an apartment before or a house or something. Uh, Typically on those keys, it says do not duplicate. Yes. Uh, On the back of this key, it says duplicate often Mm. because we want to duplicate these and then moments. For people in our city, um, for people outside of our normal networks, all of that. And so that's just a reminder that everyone got to take. Mm. Uh, as they, as they walked out, we had a, my dad built this door where we had all these keys hanging. It said, and then, Mm. so people kind of walked in and was like, what the crap is this? Yeah. And then on the way I was like, Oh, this makes sense. Mm. And so it was was phenomenal to kind of be able to stand by that, um, piece and be able to,
0: to talk with people and to hand out Mm -hmm. keys that way. And let me tell you, I mean, people were lined up to get their their <laughs> keys. I saw a lot of people. As as I said, I saw so many people sharing about this talk. Um, I believe that, and, and you even texted me today. There's already somebody who's uh, beginning to 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 practice out what what they taught, what what you talked about um, in this moment. I, Taylor, I, I think one of the really powerful things that can happen for us going forward. Um, you know, I, I think about. Um, leaders who get this vision. And I think about organizations and people who start seeing a different kind of world. And it's incredibly compelling because your opportunity doesn't diminish mine. And I don't have to live afraid. Instead, I can actually think through how can I begin to duplicate uh, my opportunities for other people. If you haven't yet, I'd encourage you to read uh, The Go-Giver. So many of us focus on being a go-getter. Uh, the Go-Giver will give you as as well a fantastic mindset on how you can create more value for others and how uh, more people are going to engage with you in, in the process because you're ultimately duplicating your keys.
1: I, I love that book. And to wrap up, I mean, I, that's a short read. Yeah. actually, I, I didn't even think we did not talk about you no, <we didn't. laughs> on my computer uh, in my folders. I have a folder that says go giver. Hmm. And in that folder, uh, I have names of people that I wow. help with their projects with their, you know, just random stuff. Uh, and so I have yeah. a go, that book profoundly impacted me It didn't enough to. to like, yeah. I don't know how many years ago I read it 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know when it came out, but, uh, yeah, enough to like, no, I'm actually going to try to live this way yeah. enough that it's like, I'm going to see it every single day in my folders Yeah, and, and be able to, to serve in that way. Yeah.
0: Well, man, I, I I'm so thankful that you've done the hard work, the diligence to consider, okay, this is the kind of life that I want to create, but also I want to invite others to, to do this mm-hmm. as well. I've already seen uh, the, the impact of your life, uh, how you're touching lives like Damarion, uh, how, how you all through simple ways. I mean, you, you think about an and then moment, even, even showing up on Valentine's Day, um, giving fast food. That's an ended moment, but then like the power of having a moment that inspired all of this and I believe that that a wave is going to begin to to hit businesses, mm-hmm. uh, leaders, organizations and we're going to see a different world because you shared the, this talk. So, thank you for um uh, sharing this talk of of a lifetime with with us and with with the world you're going to be able to, to catch it on um on YouTube and uh, all, all the other places where where they hold the TEDx content Taylor any final thoughts for us today as we wrap up
1: man, I' leave you t- two points yeah one two we kind of talked about keys. be generous with your keys mm. so think about people who've historically been left out. think about people yeah. outside of your network that you can unlock opportunity for, for someone else. Yeah. And the second one would be just be generous with your story. Yeah. Uh, so the next time you are out to dinner and you're talking about something about your success Mm -hmm. or a business deal that happened, like just, just take the extra 30 seconds and share some of those details, Mm. um, and watch and invite other people at the table to share some of those moments. And I think you guys will find that incredible things will spur from your vulnerability in that moment, to just take that
0: next little step to share those details. Man, I love that. Well, thank you for sharing this uh, with with me once again. Sharing it with um, with the TEDx Oklahoma City uh, audience and ultimately sharing this message with the world. Uh, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for it for you. And, uh, you and I are going to go have some Whataburger soon to let's, celebrate. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. Next week. I'll be back here on the leader growth podcast. I have a fantastic guest. Most of you know who he is. His name is Les Thomas senior. He just gave a TEDx Oklahoma city talk as well. And let's just released as of next week excuse me he did it at the tedx talk so he released an early version of his book there at a book signing but you're going to be able to get his book next week look forward to seeing you back here then until then love hard live full and lead strong this is our declaration we are locked in all in and full out we are the roar you think you can run with us? Let's go! I get lying in my blood, you were just a cub.
1: I rode with the king, I am guaranteed to dub. What it is, what it was, I am dope, so in love. From the dirt, get a glove. This flow is for the scrubs, you can't beat me. So go take a seat and do it discreetly. I pray and then I slay these beats, make it look easy. I'm a lion, and you just lying, I'll leave you lying. But I kinda gotta give you some credit, I see you trying. And I. See